Welcome to Planet Poet Words in Space, uh, right here on WIOX. I'm your host, Sharon Israel, and it's a real pleasure to welcome to the show today Albany poet, photographer, activist, and a major force in the poetry community of Albany, New York, Dan Wilcox. Hi, Dan. Hi, Sharon. Oh, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. You know, I noticed something is that um, your radio station is named after me. It's W-I without the L and C-O-X. <laughs> that is great. I'm going to say it's Dan Wilcox Radio, W-I-O-X dot org. <laughs> That's great. It's a wonderful observation, Dan. I'm, I'm going to read everybody your, your, um, your bio. Dan Wilcox is the host of the third Thursday Poetry Night at the Social Justice Center in Albany, New York, and is a member of the poetry performance group Three Guys from Albany. As a photographer, Dan claims to have the world's largest collection of photos of unknown poets. He has been a featured reader at all the important poetry venues in the Capital District and throughout the Hudson Valley, and is an active member of Veterans for Peace. Dan also publishes poetry under the imprint APD, Albany's Poetic Device, Another Pleasant Day, etc. His own poems have been published in Post Traumatic Press 2007, Chronogram, Poetica, and most recently in Ghost Fishing, an Echo Justice Poetry Anthology, and in other small press journals and anthologies on the Internet as broadsides and in self-published chapbooks. His book, Gloucester, Notes is a or Gloucester Notes is available from Foothills Publishing, and you could read Dan's blog at dwlcx.blogspot.com. And Dan, you've been you've been writing and and reading and presenting poetry for a very long time now. Can you tell me why is poetry so important? Well, I think uh, poetry is important like all the arts are important. I don't, I don't think there's a, a real distinction between it. It seems that human beings need the arts. Uh, going back to way in the prehistoric time, we find evidence of some form of art from these primitive um, civilizations. Uh, and so it just seems to be a, a universal um, need um, uh, among human beings. And I, I will venture to say that most people, and I don't know what that number would be, but most people in their lives have written a poem at one time or another. I, I, I agree with you. There's a, uh, in one of these Oxford Press um, introduction series, the introduction to poetry by mm -hmm. uh, Professor Donahue, he talks about poetry being prehistoric. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it's it's um, hardwired into the Homo sapien brain, and yeah. especially at this time, it's. Uh, I hear there's a tremendous resurgence in poetry reading and writing. Yes, uh, well, that's it again. It's uh, people need it, and they need to express yes. themselves. And uh, you know, in this day and age, when uh, you know about anybody can publish a book, um, there is plenty of poetry out there. Yeah. And your life as a poet, how would you characterize it, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. It's been uh, most of my life I've been writing poetry. I started in high school. Uh, I like to say that if you don't start writing when you're, when you're an adolescent, you probably never will. But, um, and 
I, you know, I had a little uh, a dream that I would become a quote-unquote poet or mm-hmm. a thing like that. And I went, and because I love literature, I got a, a bachelor's degree in English. But then the Vietnam War came along, and I got drafted, and that got sidetracked. But I was still writing poetry all through that. And I got right. out. I had a family. I needed to feed them, feed myself. I got a job working for the state of New York, and then I worked for the federal government. But all this time, I wrote poetry, um, sent it out to magazines, whatever. Uh, and actually, the biggest uh, poetry thing that happened to me was actually moving to Albany back in 1986, a uh, move I did mainly for my family and the, for a better quality of life. And... Uh, it's just that uh, I came here in Albany at a time when the poetry scene was just yes. really getting to uh, beginning to erupt, and uh, I was here at the very beginning and um, became a part of it. And I like to say that I, uh, um, I, I was going to be a small fish, so I might as well be in a small pond, which <laughs> was considered a small pond. But the scene got very big here in Albany, and being. And just through time, just through being here year after year after year and doing this, I've become somewhat bigger than a small fish. Well, you are the scene in many ways, and it's <laughs> it's a it's a very it's a it's a very um, uh, burgeoning. It's not burgeoning anymore. It's there. It's 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 vibrant and rich. Uh, there's something going on all the time. Yes, yes, it is. And, yep. And I'm fascinated by your your group. I three guys from Albany. Could you tell us about that a little bit, please? <laughs> okay. Uh, three guys from Albany uh, is a poetry performance group. Well, we started, uh, oh, uh, well, our first performance, I think, was in uh, the Tinker Street Cafe back in March of 1993, and it consists of uh, myself and uh, Charlie Rossiter and Tom Nattel. Unfortunately, Tom is no longer with us, he passed right. on in, um, in January 2005, but we still consider ourselves three guys from Albany. Mm-hmm. And our mission from the beginning was to read poetry in all the Albanies in the United States. And so we set out on that mission, and we so far uh, we've read um, poetry in 13 of the 18 Albanies in the United States. That's, um, that's really impressive, I have to say. <laughs> It is great. It's so great, and they're all over the states, right? And I thought, yeah. Well, like I said, there's 18 here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the from this Albany, with Albany, New York, it was the first Albany, all the way out to California, uh, with lots of stops in between. And um, most of the, not all, but most of the Albanies in the United States are named after. Um, this Albany, Albany, New York. So uh, Albany was the first. Yeah, this was the first. So. And it's named after the Duke of Albany. I thought it was possibly an Indian name, but no, it's a Duke of Albany. Duke of Albany. No, it's not an Indian name. It's actually a Scots name. Mm-hmm. Um, the the the. I guess the, it was the English. Uh, somebody called Scotland Alba. That's right. That's where that's where it comes from, and that's the Duke of Albany. You know, Albany was uh, supposedly, I guess, Scotland, and uh, it was one of terrific titles that the uh, that the Duke of Albany, who was James and went on to become King of England, his brother was Charles II, who gave him the land over here. Wow, royal royal um, 
imprimatur of Albany. <laughs> Lots of Tories there, I'm sure, during the war. Uh, would you read us one of your Albany poems, Dan? Oh, sure, sure. Um, this is from uh, our tour, our uh, Midwest tour, which was the first um, the tour we undertook in, back in 1995. Mm. And uh, we read, actually, we're in three Albanys on that tour, Albany, Wisconsin, Albany, Illinois, and Albany, Indiana. And uh, we're actually in two Albanys on the same day, Albany, Illinois, and Albany, Indiana. I'll read you the one that's called Albany, Illinois. Okay. Half a continent away from here to there, we stand beneath another Albany sign. Another Albany sits on another riverbank. The Mississippi behind us we face the Hudson back across the continent. Down the road, another nuclear power plant draws in cool river water from the homes of fish. The Hudson, the Mississippi, spits out hot water. The fish swim away. We drive on down the road to another Albany. <laughs> That's Dan Wilcox reading his poem, Albany, Illinois. It's so great because... From our vantage point, we're still in Albany, New York, traveling and from your and here we are half a continent away from here <laughs> to there. And it's sort of it's surreal in a way, but it's also very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 another identity, a sort of a doppelganger, but in this case there's many, many of them. Yes. Almost like um the uh, villains from the Matrix, you know, they keep multiplying. <laughs> but well, I never um, thought of it that way. I mean, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, but I love it when you when you read the uh, the Mississippi behind us, and we face the Hudson back across the continent. So yes. you're in a place, yeah, but you're moving. The reader is moving with you back and mm-hmm. forth, and then you bring in the nuclear power plant, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a really nice segue. Um, Well, one of the the things about that is that um, Tom Nattel was a um, peace and environmental activist, but he was also a poet, and he organized poetry events here in Albany, and he was was the one that really got the poetry scene started in Albany. But he um, he was the first really ardent, serious environmental activist I I ever met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had compost heaps in his backyard and heated his house wow, in Albany. it's early, yeah. Yeah, with firewood and all this kind of stuff. It was like crazy, but I learned a lot from him. And uh, he was involved with an anti-nuclear group here in Albany. And so that's sort of what that is. It sort of throws in the whole anti-nuke movement. Right. It puts it in the specific time and place also. Mm-hmm. And when you say it draws in cool river water and spits out hot water, and the fish swim away, and we drive on down the road. Let's hear it again, Dan. Okay, all right. Albany, Illinois. Half a continent away from here to there, we stand beneath another Albany sign. Another Albany sits on another riverbank. The Mississippi behind us, we face the Hudson back across the continent. Down the road... Another nuclear power plant draws in cool river water from the homes of fish, the Hudson, the Mississippi, spits out hot water. The fish swim away. We drive on down the road 
to another Albany. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> You're listening to Planet Poet Words in Space, an edition of the Writer's Voice at WIOX. We're live and local, and I'm Sharon Israel, your host, talking by phone from Albany, New York, with poet, photographer, and activist Dan Wilcox. So, Dan, you started talking about your friendship and collaboration with Tom Natal. Mm-hmm. And when you arrived in Albany, he was active in the Albany scene already, the poetry community? Um, yes, um, in, a, in a sort of a tentative way. Um, and again, from his activism, he started an event uh, in 1984, an annual event called the Readings Against the End of the World. And wow. if you remember, in 1984 was the start of the Reagan era, and mm-hmm. uh, Reagan was wanted to ramp up the nuclear bombs and all all that. And Tom was part of a local group here called the Albany Peace and Energy Council, which was an early anti-nuke group in Albany. And they started this event called the Readings Against the End of the World as a fundraiser for the Albany Peace and uh, Energy Council. And it was uh, an all-day event, usually a weekend around uh, Earth Day in April. And... uh, it went midnight to midnight, oh. and I heard about it uh, for, I think it was the 1986 um, version of it, and it had been going on for two years before that, and I was living down in Yonkers, and I was planning to move to Albany, and I had family up here, and we would come up a lot on weekends, uh, my wife and children and I, uh, to Albany, and um we scheduled a visit for the weekend of the readings against the end of the world, and I wrote to Tom, and I asked to be given a time slot, and I had a 15-minute time slot, like, I don't know, about eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. <laughs> and uh, so I got talking to him there, and uh, uh, he also was a state worker, and uh, we, you know, and I told him I'd be moving up and all that, so we stayed in touch, and... Um, Within a year, uh, well, I actually moved up in that, that summer to work up here, but that within a year my family and I moved into our house. And it turns out Tom lived about five blocks away. Oh, great. And, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and he continued that for uh, ten years. The last uh, readings against the end of the world when he was running it was 1993. Mm-hmm. So, but in the meantime, in 1988, uh Soon after I'd come up, uh, he realized there was a, a interest in poetry in Albany, and he started organizing events. In fact, he even organized in 1987. He had a grant to do readings in the summertime in various parks in Albany. That eventually became the Poets in the Park series. Mm-hmm. In uh, March of 1988, he, he started a, a poetry series at the QE2, which was a punk rock club uh, in Albany on Central Avenue. And that became sort of the granddaddy of all the open mics. Not that there weren't open mics going on before that, but generally they were uh, open mics for, like, the folk singers, and uh, uh-huh. we always felt that the poets were like the ugly stepchild <laughs> that was kind of given their few minutes in there that they would tolerate. Uh, and Tom wanted to have... Uh, Poetry, just an open mic just for poets. So that's why he started that. And from that, then at the QE2, um, it, it, people got their own ideas about open, doing open mics. They figured out how to do it. They watched him. 
myself. I, when Tom and I would go down there at night, you know, he would always, you know, he would call me up and he want me to, since he was an environmentalist, he said, why should we drive down two cars, you know? <laughs> so I would ride down with him and his van and I'd help carry in the music stand and the, um, and just all that. So we got to know each other and understand how each each of each of us thought and and mm-hmm. uh, did things. And One, stuff. Wonderful friendship. Oh, it was wonderful. And I I learned everything I know about doing uh, open mics. At least in the very beginning, I learned from Tom Natal. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it hadn't been mm-hmm. for him. And our show is sort of a, an auspicious coincidence because it's the a very important anniversary of um, the bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. And and it's sort of a, if you would read um, Tom's um, poem as a tribute to him and in honor of this anniversary, it's the 75th, I believe? Yes, it is. It's the 75th. And and Tom had started an event where each year he would have a public reading of John Hersey's book, Hiroshima. Mm. And we read the, the the whole book, the public reading, and 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 I continued it after Tom passed on. So yeah, this is uh, the poem by uh, Tom Natal, Hiroshima. And I'll try and do it in sort of in the style that he used to do it. Hiroshima, three hundred thousand in city, air burst, sun melt, fire burning, consuming, casting forth dust of death. Blackening the sky with clouds of broken molecules, smashed from live cell walls, drifting across landscape, disgusting rain upon hillside, where screams cease to echo, where silence is a scream, where terror eats into bones, and cancer is prophecy. Wow, that's yeah. So, that's the, beautiful it, reading, Dan. So thank you. Well, you know, that's, it, Tom would do this a lot when we travel around with three guys. We'd sometimes do it as a as a group performance yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, uh, the interesting thing about the poem, it's it's centered on the page, and uh, in, in just a couple couple words in each line, so it looks almost like a mushroom cloud. It, it does. It it yeah. does, and also it. it the music in it, um, it's uh, the the speak, the song speak, you know, the speaking while singing. It's almost like Ginsberg doing Howl also. Yeah, yeah well, Tom was a big fan of, of Ginsberg, yeah. and, uh, and Tom was very conscious uh, of how to present his poetry, um, and sometimes with props, uh, and in this particular case, he had a particular chant that he, like that, that he used to do with it. Yeah, very chant, very chant-like, and that was Dan Wilcox reading Hiroshima by Tom Nuttell. Yep. And Dan, you also have a a poem on this topic, if you'd yeah, like to read. Yeah. Um, you seem to like this poem, "Cleanse This City." Sure. Um, this uh, this poem is um, dated July 1995. And um, I'll talk about it afterwards, but I'll just just read it right now. Thank Um, you. Cleanse this city. On the 50th anniversary of the first explosion of the atomic bomb, few visitors show up in the desert 
except some nuns with protest signs. In Washington, D.C., someone throws symbolic blood on the parts of the Enola Gray the government dares to show. On the 50th anniversary of the A-bomb in Ireland, we drive into the nuclear-free zone of Cork City. And France sails into the South Pacific to do it again, and Greenpeace says no for all of us. While in Ireland, not one bottle of Beaujolais is sold on Bastille Day. Back in Albany, whole neighborhoods begin to glow against their wills. History turns inside out with a hole ripped in the wind over Japan in August. And now, fishermen cast everyday nets into the South Pacific because the French, with nothing to test, never left Paris. The entire planet has always been a nuclear-free zone. The Smithsonian hosts a flower exhibit, and no one shows up. In New Mexico, the desert is as quiet and empty as it has always been. There is no blacker, no mark, and there is more light under the stars than there ever could be under any cloud. That's Jan Wilcox reading his poem, Cleanse This City. That's a beautiful last line, and there's more light under the stars than there could be could ever be under any cloud. And there's no marker. There's nothing indicating yeah. that well, this, happened. You know, it, it, what happens in this poem is an interesting thing. The first part actually talks about things that were happening on the 50th anniversary of the, of the bomb, mm-hmm. in the United, particularly in the United States. But, uh, you know, my family and I just happened to be in Ireland at the time. The first test of the atomic bomb was on July 16, 1945. And... Prior to that test, some physicists and, and, and scientists thought the, the phrase I use, history turns inside out with a hole ripped in the wind over Japan in August. Mm. And some, some physicists thought this, this could be a, a cataclysmic event that would actually turn history inside out. And so in, after I say that phrase, in the next section... It contrasts what could be if that actually happened, and there was no atomic oh, bomb. Didn't go off, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's right. really what was going on. But all those other facts up there, including the interesting fact that not one bottle of Beaujolais was sold on Bastille Day that that's, year. That's probably the most unbelievable thing in the whole poem. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people were 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 annoyed at the French for um, uh, trying to do uh, another nuclear test, and that was uh-huh. part of what was going on. So. Um, I was just playing with all these different things that, that uh, were in the air, so to speak. It's really wonderful. Um, your life as an activist also really took off when you came to Albany? Um, yeah, yeah, well, I, I, it's, it get, yeah, it did, but, but that is probably a, a matter of a coincidence of history because, like I said, it was the time of Ronald Reagan and the ramping up of uh, nuclear weapons and um, there was a lot of activism going on, but I, I had been an activist since I would say since about 1964, 65, 66, something like that in college. Uh, so mm-hmm. I had started then with against the Vietnam War, and even though I was uh, eventually drafted and, and ended up in the army, um, fortunately I stayed here in the United States. So I'm I'm a very lucky man, uh, but uh, I was still. 
even when I was in the Army, it was still anti-war. Right. And I was anti-war afterwards, but but I think I really got active again, once again, like I say, moving to Albany. Um, the times were such that that's what was going on. I also met Tom, and he was already involved in the community right. here. So through him, I met lots of people and, and was able to get involved. Inclu- including Paul Grandal, who did a beautiful interview with you. Oh, thank uh, you. From the, writers, uh, the New York Writers Institute. And when... Um, I love this. You you said every good communist should enlist in the army, and then you, you <laughs> did your protests, and your protests in Albany were covered by by Paul Grandal, who was a a newspaper reporter at the time, and he would interview you, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I got to know Paul because he was Paul is a, a wonderful community person, and he um, he was a great choice for the Writers Institute to be their director because he knows all kinds of people in Albany. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just the literati, and, uh, and he knows everybody who's been doing anything because he was a newspaper reporter. So, And I always was smart enough to get to know the photographers and the reporters. And uh, and there's a quote from uh, Paul Krasner, who uh, was a uh, satirical writer in the 60s and uh, 70s and 80s. Um, and sure. um, The realist. The realist, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I got a bunch of them up in my attic. <laughs> so Paul Krasner said something like, uh, referring to media, he said, if you give them good quote, they will give you free publicity. So, <laughs> right. so I always learned, I learned quickly on not to be too wordy, to maybe have something mm-hmm. kind of, kind of uh, maybe, maybe a little controversial or provocative, mm-hmm. and maybe it's a better word, to say when I was interviewed and try and just give them a soundbite. And so what's more likely you get quoted that way? So Paul would always seek me out if he saw me in one of those places. That's a great advice for any, any poet, anybody who wants some publicity. Yeah, exactly. That's great. You have one, uh, before we um, get to the half hour, um, you have another environmental pro- uh, poem that I would like you to read, The Water Planet. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, this is a little simpler in some ways, um, called The Water Planet. The ocean circles the earth. Every place is an island. The waves lick at the edges. Tides come up to take over, step back to get a better look at what might be claimed. Earth warms to become what it is, water, not land. Water, bound up in blocks, freed as glaciers, ice caps melt, taking back the land. Water is free, flows like ideas, expands, covers what it wants. Fish swim in and out of windows. Lobsters spawn in Brooklyn. Mm. That's Dan Wilcox reading his poem, The Water Planet. Did you write this recently, or is this an older poem? No, um, yeah. I can't remember when I wrote this. It's not an old, old poem, but yeah. it's a more recent one, you know, a lot to do with the climate change. And uh, But I was reading uh, different things on history and stuff. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was like a, a 100,000 years ago or something like this. This whole area was covered by mm-hmm. glacier and covered by ice. Right, in Roxbury, too, and in Gilboa. There yeah, all the, well, actually, yeah. all the way down from the Arctic Circle down to mm-hmm. uh, Long Island. And it was um, covered in ice, and gradually over the years, the ice pulled back. But what happens 
you know, you have an ice age. You don't. You don't. The water is tied up into ice. Right. <laughs> and so the reason we have all these lakes and stuff in, like, in upstate New York, is because the ice melted and they formed these lakes and and rivers. Um, and oh. so I was thinking about how that. Now, I'm not saying that that. Uh, uh, global warming is just a total natural process. I mean, it is to some degree, but, of course, our human activity has accelerated tremendously. But I was just trying to make the point that that water is just the natural state mm-hmm. of the earth and that if someday, you know, these coastal areas like Brooklyn are flooded, you know, fish will be swimming in, that, in and out of winter. Lobsters spawn in Brooklyn. It's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, and today's a hurricane day. It doesn't hit us directly, I think, but uh, yeah. yeah. So thank you, Dan. I'm sorry, we don't have time to read that one again, but okay, that that's was right. The Water Planet. Um, you're listening to Planet Poet Words in Space, community radio in the Catskills on 91.3 FM and streaming live on org. I'm talking with Albany-based poet, photographer, and activist Dan Wilcox. And now this is our segment with Pamela Monche-Pierce, our poet at large, will join us for news from the world of poetry. Hello, Pamela. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Dan. Hi, Pamela. So, Pamela, what do you have for us today? Well, first I want to, I want to thank Dan. I, I, I love your poetry, and I, that image, the line, the ocean circles the earth, will, will stick with me forever. <laughs> I mean, but it's just such a fresh and I mean, when just when you think you've heard everything possible about the Earth, there there is this image, and and I I'm just I'm delighted by that. So thank you, Dan. Well, thank you, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, it's also a perfect segue because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some uh, poem today from uh, Ame Cesaire, the Afro-Caribbean poet and activist. And so we have activism on the on the table today. Um, I, I think I chose a Cesaire because I believe that he is uh, going to get more attention uh, in the very near future because of his activism and his pointing of the phrase negritude, which is about the black consciousness and pride. And uh, three of his things that I think are really interesting is that in his, in his work, in his life, that Africa had value. And he wanted to bring uh, black pride to, to the surface in people's consciousness. And he was anti, anti-colonial. Mm-hmm. Was he the only black surrealist um, in that peri- for, at that period of time? I, I don't know. You know, he was from Martinique, and he had a very international life after growing up in this little gorgeous island in the Caribbean. He went to the uh, Ecole Normale Superior in Paris. And there he met um, Harlem Renaissance writers and had a wonderful experience with them. He had a book uh, illustrated by Picasso. Andre Breton visited him in Martinique in uh, 1941, like at the beginning of the, of the, of the war. And he had this life that really uh, put him in, in, uh, in the center of, of European culture and created kind of an awareness of what was happening in, in, in the Caribbean. So he is very much surrealist, uh, surrealist in, in his art and his work. And uh, I'm going to read a poem uh, of his called The Woman in the Flame. But before that, I'm going to read a quote about his work uh, from Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, not too shabby to have uh, <laughs> talk about your work, right? Uh, yes. Okay. It says, our poem explodes 
and whirls about itself like a rocket. Suns burst forth whirling and exploding like new suns. It perpetually surpasses itself. So I'm going to read you a poem from his book, Solar Throat Slashed, 1948, translated by Clayton Eshelman. Okay? Could you say the name of the book again, Pamela? Solar, S-O-L-A-R, Solar Throat Slashed. Wow. (laughs) Great title. My goodness. This is called The Woman and the Flame. A bit of light that descends the spring head of a gaze twin shadow of the eyelash and the rainbow on a face and round about who goes there angelically ambling woman the current weather the current weather matters little to me my life is always ahead of a hurricane you are the morning that swoops down on the lamp a night stone between its teeth You are the passage of seabirds as well. You are the wind through the salty epomias of consciousness, insinuating yourself from another world, woman. You are a dragon whose lovely color is dispersed, darkened so, as to constitute the inevitable tenor of things. I am used to brush fires. I am used to ashen bush rats and the bronze ibis of the flame. Woman, binder of the foresail, gorgeous ghost, helmet of algae of eucalyptus, gone isn't it, and in the abandon of ribbons, very savory swimmer. Oh, that's Pamela Moshe Pierce reading from Amé Cesar's book? Yes, yes, it's called Solar Throat. Throat slashed. Oh. Um, what imagery in that poem? Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, the twin shadow of an eyelash. Yes. Um, the gorgeous ghost. It's beautiful work. It's absolutely beautiful work. And he has other poems which are very um, fiery and very, very much involved with his struggle and the struggle that he was uh, talking about and, bring, and bringing to the world. And some of them remind me a lot of Maya Angelou with her line, and still I rise. I mean, you just have that mm-hmm. feeling that mm-hmm. but we're not forever. So his, his, all of his work is very exciting. Well, that certainly is. And I, I think all of the surrealists need to be here. Need to be heard again. You know, I think it's I think it's time. And you've you've brought us Aimé Cesar, and 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 last month you brought us um, Brutaer, right? Which is another with a, a Belgian surrealist. May and last month too. I mean, two that and Mallarmé. So I right. think we're on something here, Sharon. Well, you are our poet at large. I thank you, and my listeners thank you. Thank you. And and great work. And we'll see you. We'll see you next time, Pamela. All right. And thank- I'm just going to sit back and enjoy Dan's work. So this is wonderful to be to be a listener now. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thank, thank you, Pam. you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm I'm intrigued by Tom Natal. I'm sorry I, I never had a chance to meet him. Mm. Um, I know you you took over from Tom, I believe, for the Thursday Poetry Night. Uh, no, no, that was that was my own um, event. Oh, okay, but it was inspired by him when I saw I what he was doing, and I just happened to uh, it was a, a 
web cafe that was in Albany at the time, and they were looking to have a regular programming, and they tried some poetry, and the people weren't doing a very good job, and the owner approached me, and she said, you know, she knew I was doing a lot of this, and I hadn't really hosted one regularly since. And so I started in 1997, and up until March of this year, it's still been going, and I put mm-hmm. it on kind of hiatus during this. Uh, during this pandemic, but uh, but again, if it hadn't been for Tom, I wouldn't have been doing it. So in a, in a way, I, I did take over Poets in the Park when when Poets Tom was, in the Park, right? That's what I meant. I'm yeah, sorry. when Tom was dying in 2004, I mean, him not living not far from me, you know, I would walk over to his house and sit with him in the afternoon. I had mm-hmm. retired from the state; he was on a re- disability retirement, and we'd sit around and we'd talk poetry and. And we and Tom was very conscious of the fact he was dying, and he made no bones about it. And he would, and so he was trying to plan for for that event, uh, having his uh, materials archived and all that. And uh, and he surprised me by asking me to continue the poets in the park. Uh, Tom was a very much in control type person, mm-hmm. and uh, I respected that of him. And. Um, and the people he liked to work with, the people that could work with him, letting him take control, but but adding what we could. And so, um, when he asked me to take over Poets in the Park, I was uh, I thought that it was a uh, uh, an affirmation. Yes, a validation. He yep, trusted uh, you, and you, he was right. Yep. Well, he was, and and uh, so so that yeah, so that's why I took over Poets in the Park. And um, for those who don't live in Albany. Um, there is a, a a statue, a poet statue in Washington Park. Yes, Robert Burns, <laughs> who never came to Albany. <laughs> um, yeah, Robert Burns, and that's where we did it. That's where Tom always did it. And, and here's another interesting coincidence in that nature. Um, Tom is is a partial Scots uh, heritage, as am I. My great grandfather mm-hmm. was living in Albany um, around the time that the statue was erected. Wow. And so was Tom's great-grandfather. Oh, that is really a coincidence. So I like to think that when they had the grand gathering of Scott's clans in Albany to, to dedicate the Robert Burns statues, that both our great-grandfathers were in that crowd. So, that is, that's pretty wild, I have to say. It is. You've, taken, you've carried on that tradition. Yeah. How interesting is that? So you've been doing this since... And had this annual reading since 1987. Well, yeah, Tom started in 87, and then since that's when he had the series of various uh, readings in parks. And then in 88, he started doing it just in uh, Washington Park. It's usually in July. Um, usually the weekends that don't include the 4th of July, so maybe three weekends mm-hmm. in, in July. It's um, uh, on Saturday nights, 7 o'clock. We have, like, two poets. Um, it's out of there by 8 o'clock, so, you know, it doesn't take over your night. <laughs> and uh, this year we only had one uh, of those. That was uh, July 25th. We had just our two poets that night, and it was just too much with the COVID things. And sure. That they released, the, you know, they made it easy because they said, well, you can have outdoor arts gathering of um, no more than 50 people. And I said, this is great. This is great. This is poetry. I'm not going to get 50 people. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Spoken like a true poet. If you go to a reading and there's 20 people there, it's it's a wonderful thing. 
That's right. Well, that's yeah. why I always say you have to have a poetry. If you're going to have a poetry reading, have it in a small space. It's true. Looks like it's crowded, you know. And that's why you have an open mic, too. Yep. So yep. You, you know your audience is attentive and, and eager yep. To, yep. To, to participate. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to ask you, there is a, a diverse arts com, uh, poetry community in, in all the Albany area. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about um, that, including Troy Kitchen? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Troy Kitchen is a is a place on Congress um, Street in in Troy. Um, it's a sort of like a food court, but a, a wonderful, wonderful poet uh, named Danielle Collin uh, started this series. I don't know, two years ago now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what called Poetic Vibe. And most po- open mics are like once a month, like on the third Thursday, the first Wednesday, those right. kind of things. Uh, she does this every Monday, and she has um, uh, been getting good crowds there. And she's even doing it on Zoom now. Nice. So you can check her out on uh, Facebook and uh, find out about her Zoom. So that that's a fabulous event. We've had... Um, some some slam poetry. Slam poetry didn't really. Uh, I mean, it, there are a lot of people like doing slam poetry, but the open mic scene started without slam poetry. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. slam was just sort of starting then, and so we have to. It, it, I, I'm not a big slam poetry fan. That's that's basically it. Um, but we have a lot of slam poets. There's been um, poetry readings at the Gay Lesbian Community Center. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Albany over the over the years, it just events come and go. People try new ones, and then, and particularly when you get young people coming in, you know, I'm I'm one of the old guys in the in the scene, uh, but a lot of young people are coming in and creating their own scenes. That's and, wonderful. Yeah, and it's and some are and they're all different, and um, mm-hmm. that's the way it should be. I mean, really, that's the way art yeah. should be, and that's. Um, that's that's how you breed. I mean, it's just like biology. You know, you got to have your uh, your species has got to have a lot of uh, uh, new individuals right. entered into it in order that's for the species to survive. That kind of thing. You know. So same with poetry. Very interesting. I um, when we were talking before the show, you described activism for the for the uh, Albany poetry community. I've never heard of activism for used in that way. I love that. To promote, yeah, well, to promote poetry. Yeah, well, actually, this is something I came to as an idea long after I got involved with the poetry scene. But the the thing is, what you're what you're really doing uh, in any kind of arts community is you're building a community. That's mm-hmm. the, that's what is happening, uh, and that is one of the great joys I've found over the years of of being involved is you have a community, and now with like social media. It's um, it's a great way to to keep it going in that sense, or to expand it. Um, but uh, you know, community building is activism, and it's, it's people talking about the issues common for that community, and and if necessary, taking to the streets, as we've seen with the Black Lives Matter uh, right. events. And how has COVID nineteen affected the poetry life in Albany and your poetry? Well, it's affected the way it's affected just about everybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the country, probably in the world. And, you know, there's a lot more of these Zoom events and online events, and they're different, but um, it, 
it's very interesting because it also opens it up for people who couldn't be there. For example, uh, I, I attend a, a Zoom uh, poetry open mic um, last month over in Gloucester. Now, I like Gloucester, and I've been there sometimes in person over there, but I haven't don't, been able to get there. Sure. But it's on Zoom. We had the um, uh, Walt Whitman birthday celebration in Washington Park on May 31st, the Walt's birthday. We read a song of myself, and we have a, a public reading of it, and mm. we've been doing it in Albany for years. And But this year, we had people calling in from Florida, uh, somebody from uh, Ohio. Oh, that's great. As well as throughout New York State, where they probably wouldn't have made the drive. So it's it's ironic in that it, it separated us. The thing I, I miss about the live poetry readings is the hugs. You know, yeah, I like yeah. I like those hugs, and uh, you can't get them. Um, but but in, in some ways, it opens it up to people in other places. It so does. there's and the yin and the yang of of this pandemic mm-hmm. as there is with everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe after the the pandemic is over, you can maybe do a hybrid, you know, sure. presentation of things. Right. I, I think the, I think we're going to see these things continuing, um, and, and we'll have live readings, and we'll have Zoom readings, and we'll have a whole mix of things. And I think it can only you know, it can only work for the expansion of poetry and expansion of the poetry community. Yes, and you do so much for the community. And you have, in addition to your your own poetry and your presentations and your hosting, you have a blog which I mentioned in your bio, in your bio that you've been doing. You've been doing that for since two thousand seven. Not quite sure. Uh, what, what thing are you asking about? I had a, your your blog. Oh, my blog. Yes, yes. I have my blog. I've been. Yeah, when I I would go to a poetry readings, I was doing this long before that. I would. Um, Photos, mm-hmm. and then I would write about it uh, in my notebooks. And then, when the blogs came in, I said, "Oh, I can just do, do this on on the blog." So that's what I did. Um, but as as a result, I have years and years of notes relating to the poetry readings prior to the blog from two thousand and seven. Right. And you have your collection of poetry. Could you tell us a little bit about that? The your photo archives. Well, that's what happened. I would go to the poetry readings. I would take pictures, and this I was using film, and that was that was back in the day when you know often I was the only photographer in the room, huh. and now you go to a poetry room, everybody's taking out mm-hmm. their phone, taking mm-hmm. pictures, and everything. So you know, uh, everyone's doing it. But back then, I was the only one doing it, and um, up and so I think I went digital in two thousand and nine, and so between. 1986 and 2009, I amassed probably, I don't know, I don't know, 20,000 photos? I don't know. <laughs> you said 17 boxes of print photos, and you haven't yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's counted the, digi- the digitals. I also had the pleasure of, of, of reading with Dan. With, it was fun, Dan. And you mm-hmm. wrote a nice uh, write-up in the blog mm-hmm. um, that I read like two years later because I, I didn't realize that you had had the blog but that was a, a nice event at Teresa um, Teresa Costas uh, yeah. Art Bar, the Womps Word of Mouth series. Um, but you also have a, I call it your epidemic triptych. <laughs> <laughs> Could you read that for us, Dan? Before? Sure. Well, this is a, uh, I like humor. 
in my poems, and I try to use it sometimes. And um, it, it started off, well, there's three parts to it. So the first one reads, bird flu, it's what they do. So then after bird flu passed, we had another type of flu. And uh, this one goes, everything is coming true, swine flu. And then when uh, this coronavirus uh, came in, I figured, well, wonder how I'm going to work that in. <laughs> and I, that the king is COVID-19. It wears a crown. That's so. very good. I love that. They're all just plays on words. <laughs> yeah, because um, you can't see it, but it's bird flu. But of course, it's it's F L E W, but it's both F L F L U. Let's just read it one more time, Dan, please. Read it again. Okay. Sure. Sure. Bird flu. It's what they do, <laughs> and everything is coming true. Swine flu. That's, you know, like they say, when pigs fly. Yeah, that's, what, that's right. <laughs> Everything is coming through swine flu. And then the third one is, the king is COVID-19. It wears a crown, a corona. Yes, that's right. I, 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 um, I love it. It's also, it's so deadly what's going on. It's so horrible. I mean, the world is so crazy. But uh, it's nice to have the nine lines to read. <laughs> it's almost like the epidemics have nine lives, you know. Oh, I didn't think of that. Very good, yeah. <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, also, you you are the the world crier of poetry events through the Poetry uh, Motel. Oh, yeah, that's a e- email list. Um, um, it, it's you know a great how name. It, I love the name. Well, that there's a whole story to that. But my friend Charlie Rossiter had a uh, cable TV show. And he called it that. And then he established a foundation. It was a New York State charity, so he could get money from arts organizations and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, when Charlie moved out of the area, uh, I took over that. Didn't do that much with that, but I did keep the Poetry Motel Foundation. And then I needed to promote my own events. And I got, uh, you know, like, well, those Google uh, email list kind of things. Right. Right. And so I, that's what I use. I use it mainly to promote my own events, but what happens is somebody sends me something about a poetry event that's going on and it's of interest, I will just bounce it to my list. So yeah. it becomes a community list as well. Yeah. I'm a, 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 how do you get on the list? Can you tell our listeners? Uh, email me. <laughs> okay. It's really long. Unless you, I think you could probably go into Google List or Google Documents or Google List and look up Poetry Motel Foundation. Okay, that's great. And your your blog spot is dwicx. Oh, dwlcx. I'm sorry. Dwlcx. Blog spot and and in order to look at your photos, how do we do that? Uh, that there's a Flickr site. Mm-hmm. I've got about four thousand photos up on the Flickr site. That's uh, Flickr. F l i c k r. dot com slash photos, slash D-W-L-C-X. Great. Dan, it has been such a tremendous pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. And it's been fun. 